please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. St. Teresa of Avila once said that this life is like a bad night in a bad inn. I think there are times that we can relate to that because life can be unfair, tough, filled with all kinds of difficulties and problems. We may be disappointed in the way our life has turned out, or perhaps we are discouraged, feel alone, afraid, exhausted, or are uncertain about the future. Sometimes we get the feeling that we are the only ones left who care, who are really trying. We may be at the place of saying, this is enough, I've had it, I'm through. And even though we don't verbalize it, we feel as though God has let us down, has somehow disappointed us. There's something about these thoughts and feelings that seem out of place for a Christian. We add insult to injury by heaping guilt upon ourselves for the way we feel about God and life. We question the reality of our faith, of our relationship with God. We silently wonder, what's wrong with me? People of God just don't think like this. But we are mistaken. Thousands of years ago, the prophet Elijah, a devout man of God, an amazing man of God, sat under a broom tree in the middle of the hot, desolate desert and wrestled with these very same thoughts. Which leads us to ask, how did this great man of God get to that place in life? 1 Kings 16 tells us that Israel is in a bad way. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel are the definition of evil. Together, they lead the Israelites into worshiping the cultic god Baal. In order to oppose Baal worship and call the Israelites back to himself, God raises up Elijah to announce a drought that he is sending upon Israel. During this three-year drought, God miraculously keeps Elijah safe providing everything he needs. But at the end of these three years, when the famine is so severe and Jezebel is killing off as many of God's prophets as she can, God tells Elijah to go and present himself to Ahab. When Elijah and Ahab meet, Elijah challenges the 850 prophets of Baal to a duel of sorts on Mount Carmel so that they may settle who this nation will worship, Baal or God. Both groups set up identical altars, but neither is allowed to light a fire to the wood. The contest hinges on the God who answers by fire. He is truly God. The prophets of Baal go first, but despite their wild pleas and antics, there is no fire. After the day has almost passed, Elijah steps up to his altar, requesting that jars and jars of water be poured on the wood and the offering. Then Elijah simply prays, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. When Elijah finishes praying, the fire of the Lord falls, burning up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licks up the water in the trench. The people fall prostrate, crying out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. After ordering the execution of the prophets of Baal, Elijah tells Ahab that rain is coming to end this long and harsh drought. When Jezebel hears all that has happened, she vows to kill Elijah. In an instant, Elijah finds himself going from what is possibly the best moment in his life to the worst. And when he is completely surprised and frightened by this turn of events, he does what most of us would do. He runs for his life. Elijah runs into the hot, dry, sun-smitten desert alone. When he finally stops, he finds shelter and collapses under the shade of a solitary broom tree. Elijah tells God that he has had enough, that he wants to die. But after a few days of deep sleep and meals delivered by an angel, Elijah then travels for 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Exhausted and filled with fear and hopelessness, Elijah goes into a cave to spend the night. It is here in the solitude of this lonely, dark cave that God asked Elijah a deeply penetrating and revealing question. Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, this is a question that takes on different meanings for us, such as, why are you here? How did you get to this point in your life? Have you lost your perspective? Do you doubt that I am able to care for you? Or believe that because of what is happening, I am no longer in control? Do you think I have forgotten you? Elijah seems a bit defensive as he replies, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your commands, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. It is though Elijah is saying, Lord, you don't know what it's like being a prophet, going out there every day with thus saith the Lord this and thus saith the Lord that. And you know what? People really don't like to hear the stuff I'm saying. So it's not enough that I don't have any friends and I have to go around saying things people don't like, but now... Jezebel is vowing to kill me too. Honestly, Lord, I've had enough. I'm done. You'd better find someone else to do this job. Our response to God may sound something like this. Lord, you really don't know what my job and life are like. 
No one recognizes me for what I do, and certainly no one appreciates me or what I do. I just feel worn down. My family and friends aren't treating me the way I should be treated. You know what? It's just not worth it anymore. Why do I even try? I've had enough. I'm done. In his tender, loving kindness, God doesn't respond to Elijah's defensiveness. He knows that like us, Elijah needs an encounter with him. So God tells Elijah to go out and stand on the mountain. As Elijah begins to move to the mouth of the cave, he witnesses a great and powerful wind that tears the mountains apart and shatters the rocks. But God is not in the wind. After the wind is an earthquake, but God is not in the earthquake. After the earthquake is fire, but God is not in the fire. Eventually, God comes, but not in a powerful display, but rather in the stillness of a whisper. In this stillness, Elijah hears God's question once again. So simple and yet so penetrating. Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah's experience reminds us that often we hear God best when we stop and make space for silence in our lives. But it's not easy to stop or to be quiet, even in order to hear God speak, because noise is all around us. A while back, Real Simple magazine offered the following statistics and observations about the proliferation of noise and the lack of silence in our world. In 1920, a Nebraska inventor designed the first automobile alarm. In 2004, New Yorkers proposed a bill to ban car alarms because they are a public nuisance. Between 1975 and 2010, the average number of TV sets per household rose by 87%. In 2006, a research poll discovered that 82% of the respondents had encountered annoying cell phone chatter in public. Amazingly, only 8% of the respondents felt that their cell phone habits were ever irritating to others. We tend to view silence as something we need to fill because sometimes the quiet is unappealing or unsettling to us, or maybe just because we're used to having some type of continual noise in our lives. But learning to stop and make space for silence in our lives allows us to hear God. It is in the silence that we may experience a deeper awareness of God and his love for us. It might even be that there is some knowledge of God that can only come in the stillness as we bring him into our lives our concerns, our fears, and pain. When we bring God into our lives, we learn that things that seem out of control to us 
are not to him. And we soon discover that God does not rely on us, but rather we rely on him. In our stopping, we would also begin to see and experience God working out his purposes with infinite tenderness and mercy on our behalf. Like most of us, Elijah learns the need for stopping in the middle of life's difficulties. And as he does, he finds himself in a place to hear God's gentle whisper to him. Someone has said, Sometimes God speaks so quietly that we have to move close to him in order to hear his whisper. I was reminded of this lesson a little over a year ago when I had a double ear infection where I lost the hearing in my right ear and partially lost the hearing in my left ear. Some of you may remember that if you wanted to talk to me, you had to talk into my left ear and it was necessary for me to move in close to you in order to lessen the noise and distractions around me. I had to pay close, careful attention to what was being spoken, or I would completely miss it. In order to hear God's gentle whisper, we have to make room for silence, moving in close to him in order to lessen the noise and distractions around us. Scripture tells us that God has always been speaking to his people and in a variety of ways. We may hear God's whisper through reading scripture, through praying, through hearing God's words spoken, through the ministry of the church, through connecting with each other in the body of Christ, or in nature, God's creation, through distinct thoughts, or through others in their godly counsel to us. Yet sometimes we may wonder, how do I know this is truly God speaking to me? We can decipher God's whisper because it brings honesty and truth into our lives that lead to peace and joy. Not necessarily freedom from trouble, but always peace and joy. God's whispers do not condemn us, but they can bring conviction intended to help us make changes in our lifestyle and behavior. God's whisper never contradicts scripture and are always consistent with his holy character and his desires for us. God's question, what are you doing here, gives Elijah an opportunity to get God's perspective on life. When we lose our focus, take our eyes off of God, we not only lose our way, we also lose God's perspective. Negative thoughts and feelings can overwhelm us until we feel like a failure. We feel hopeless. We worry that nothing will ever change, that God can no longer use us. We feel stuck, trapped by our circumstances, concerned that life is so messed up, nothing good can ever come from it. Which is why losing our focus and God's perspective gets us off track in life and sometimes leads us to crashing. This is embarrassing to admit, but a few years ago, following an event here at the church, while backing out of a parking space, 
Some people ahead of me in the parking lot caught my eye. Stupidly enough, as I was watching the scene unfold in front of me, I continued backing up until something else caught my attention. The fact that I had just backed up into a parked car. Thankfully, for our car and the car I hit, I was moving very slow. Immediately, I stopped. Yes, I know. Then I stopped, got out of my car to see what damage I had done. I then ran into the church to find the owner of the other vehicle, who was most gracious, and upon seeing their car, said, I don't even, can't even tell that you hit my car. Now, I'm guessing, after telling you this story, that I will be given full clearance anytime any of you see me backing out of a parking spot here in the church parking lot, or probably any place else for that matter. It is easy to lose our focus, and it is dangerous. Just a little over a month ago, when Nick Wallenda was crossing the Baltimore Harbor by tightrope in preparation for crossing Niagara Falls, he slipped and almost fell. He shared that he always begins to get comfortable as he nears the top because he knows he is almost done. He said, that day was a wake-up call to me about not losing my focus. Listening for... And hearing God's whisper helps us regain our focus and God's perspective and purpose for us as we lovingly hear him speak truth into our lives. Even when we seemingly hear nothing from God, this time is never wasted. To sit in God's presence, to reflect on him, to know him and know that he is God is always beneficial to us. In Psalm 46.10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. In Psalm 62.5, the psalmist declares, For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. As God and Elijah talk, Elijah begins to gain clarity as he sees that even though he believes life is done, God does not. Elijah is given new purpose and meaning in life when God tells him to return to Israel and recruit new leadership. From God's point of view, Elijah's failures have not made him unfit for further service. God restores Elijah as he tells him, that he has a new work for him to do. God also says to him, Oh, and by the way, Elijah, you are not the only one left. There are still 7,000 people in Israel who serve me. God's penetrating question brings clarity to us as well, as it reveals God's gracious, loving heart to us. This question calls us to re-examine our position in life, where we are, what we are doing, the direction we are going. This question of God's reminds us that we can't stay where we are and move forward with God. At some point, 
We must realize that we can't live in a continual state of negativity, in a continual place of hopelessness, as though nothing can or ever will change. But we also need to understand that we can't get out of this place of hopeless negativity, self-pity, and uncertainty on our own, which is why God's question is so vital. What are you doing here is intended to open our eyes to God's loving, transforming presence as we begin to regain our focus on him and his perspective. Because of his deep love and concern for us, God invites us to have open and honest conversations with him, to pour out our hearts to him, Because he cares about our thoughts and feelings. And as we do this, we are in a position to open ourselves to the new opportunities that God has for us. To join his work in this world, individually and corporately, as the people of God. God has plans for Elijah that he can't begin to dream or imagine while he is under the broom tree or hiding in the recesses of the cave. Elijah becomes an even greater prophet than he was. He becomes the rallying cry for Israel even to this day. When John the Baptist comes, people call him the coming of Elijah. Elijah, along with Moses, are with Jesus in the transfiguration. At the Seder Supper, an empty chair is always left for the prophet Elijah. All of this is possible because of God's loving grace and faithfulness that sees Elijah's life beyond the moment. Our hope is that the God who has great plans for Elijah has a great plan for us, too. And God does have a future for us as individuals and the church that are so far beyond anything we can think or imagine. Think back to where you were five or ten years ago. Think of where God has brought you and how he has blessed you. If God can do that work in those few years, then think what he wants to do in the years to come. I understand for some, the thought of doing more is overwhelming. You may ask, how can I do more when I barely have the time and energy to do what I'm doing now? It is only through God. God alone gives us tasks to do, which he will then equip and enable us to complete as we listen to his whisper and obey. Our willingness to listen for his whisper and believe what we hear is also rooted in our ability to grasp the truth that God is with us and has a future for us. We must deeply embed this truth in our hearts and in our minds so that no matter what is happening, we will always know that God reigns and is in control. Whether we are under a broom tree or hiding in a dark cave, whether we are feeling overwhelmed or scared, whether our children are making decisions we wish they were not, 
when our jobs or the people we work with disappoint us, frustrate us, or hurt us. When grief, pain, or loss wash over us like the waves of an ocean. Still, God is for us and with us. God can and will use the circumstances of our lives to accomplish his purpose. But we need to truly believe that God reigns and is in control. We need to grab hold of this truth because all of us have, are, or will spend time in the desert under a broom tree or hiding in the recesses of a cave. And it is often in these times that if we carefully listen, we hear God whisper our name, telling us how much he loves us. This is why it is so important to develop sensitivity to God's voice and whisper in our lives, because they are crucial to our well-being spiritually and to our spiritual growth. I hope that you had the opportunity to watch Nick Walenda's crossing of Niagara Falls a little over a week ago. It was pretty incredible. The first person, probably the only person, to walk a tightrope across the raging waters of the Horseshoe Falls. If you watch the coverage of this spectacular event, you heard Nick talk about following in the footsteps of his great-grandfather, Carl, who died attempting a similar stunt almost 40 years ago. Braving the blinding winds and the swirling mist in front of tens of thousands of spectators and millions more around the world watching by broadcast, Walenda crossed the 1,800-foot gorge on a two-inch wire. Afterwards, Walenda spoke of this feat as the fulfillment of a lifelong dream and as an opportunity to honor his grandfather. One of the side stories that caught my attention was Walenda's request that his father continually talk to him through his earpiece during the almost 26-minute walk. Nick's father kept telling him, You're looking good. Good job. Keep going. Just remember, you need to change the rhythm of your steps as you prepare to go into the wet zone. Just take your time. Good job. You are doing great. Begin to slow your rhythm as you are halfway to the next pendulum. He also asked questions, waiting for Nick's answers. How does your harness feel? Any insects bothering you? How are your arms feeling? How's the water on your feet? At one point, Nick's father even asked him, Nick, can you still hear me over the roar of the falls? Nick assured him that he could. His father replied, good. I want to make sure that you can hear me with each step you take. When everyone else was drowned out by the roar of the falls, he was tuned in to his father's voice. Why? 
because he made sure to take every precaution and preparation so he could hear his father's voice. I have since pondered this conversation between Nick and his dad. Nick's father's questions, encouragement, and warnings have led me to wonder how different our lives might be if we were always listening with open ears and hearts to our Heavenly Father's gentle whisper to us. What would our days, our circumstances, our lives look like if we were so tuned in to our Heavenly Father's gentle whisper? How different the challenges we are facing might seem if we heard God's gentle healing grace spoken into our lives. How different might we feel about the struggles we are facing if we heard God asking us, how are you doing in the midst of this problem? How are you dealing with this person? I know the words they've spoken have hurt you so deeply. Are you feeling scared, overwhelmed, afraid, alone? Remember, I am with you each step of the way. God's whisper has the ability to change who we are, what we are doing, and the direction we are going. And it's all because of his loving, transforming grace that is at work in our lives if we open our hearts and minds to him. May we with the psalmist declare, for God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my hope comes from him. And as we do, may we hear the whisper of our heavenly father speaking to us. You are my beloved child. I love you. And I care about what you are facing in this moment. I am with you, holding you, helping you, revealing my plans for you that are far more than you can think, dream, or imagine. Let us pray. Oh God, help us to stop and make space for silence in our lives so we may hear your gentle whisper to us. Help us listen as you whisper our names, telling us how much you love us, that you are with us, and that you have a future for us. This we pray in your name. Amen.